just one of kings Better than none and ring That's why we're here to sing Football Sunday in the snow Referees whistle blows Weekend warriors toe to toe Football 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 Yes, people, we are back. North London 40 is in the building. Woo! My name is James Hamlin. My name is Inia Benigo. Welcome back, everybody, to another instalment of NFL, brought to your ears, North London 40 style. We are going to be breaking down everything that happens in week 10 of the NFL. All the information you need to know, all the information you don't need to know, we're not going to talk about that just to give you an informational breakdown of this wonderful sport that is the NFL. We'll also be joined by a special guest later. We're joined by William from the Gridiron Think Tank, mm-hmm. who's going to come on and just give us some of his pearls of wisdom that he's built up from coaching in NFL Europe, that he's built up from coaching in Bryn College, where Cam Newton was a was a player there in the period that nobody really talks about between him um, being at Florida and Auburn. He's going to come on there and tell us a little bit about the college game. We're going to give you an update on what's happening in the college game briefly and a little bit about some um, some concussion stuff as well. A big week for concussions. It was awful. But before that, some housekeeping, of course, as we always do. Thank you, everybody, that follows us and hits us up on the Twitter, at NLDN40. Mixcloud.com forward slash NLDN, NLDN40.tumblr.com, NorthLondon40 at gmail.com, and of course, on iTunes, brought to you every week. Drop every Monday, around about 11, 11.30, maybe a little bit after, just so you've got it for the Tuesday morning for your NFL breakdown needs. I just want to say a big thank you to everyone that uh, got in touch with us to A, tell us that we are the keys and greatest of the NFL and that I sound like Josh Whittigam. It's good. These are the things I need. We're keys and grey, post-sexual innuendo <laughs> faux pas. We're, we're on the shout sport wilderness right now. When the mics go off, people, trust me, <laughs> things stay on the reg. Thank you for everybody that tweets us, ats us, emails us, mm-hmm. listens to the pod. We could not do this without you people, so we very much appreciate that. Thank you. Let's talk about some Week 10 in the NFL. Now, we weren't sure going into this week, but again, we've got to pinch ourselves because every week brings excitement in the NFL, and this week was no different. We should start with the last remaining unbeaten team. And the last remaining... You're forgetting something. I was just about to say Oh, that. sorry. The last remaining unbeaten member of the Bird Gang. Burr. Atlanta Falcons went into New Orleans to take on the, has been the car wreck so far this season, the New Orleans Saints. The Atlanta Falcons are no longer unbeaten. They lost 27-31 to the New Orleans Saints. Kind of saw this happening. Really? You really thought that this was going to be the game that they were going to come back? I did. Okay. You're a, you're a little bit of a suicide. Did you think that because the Saints have got rid of the interim interim coach and they're just down to an interim coach, that you know this is going to be they're going to be four and five heading into? I actually thought exactly that. I thought Joe Vitt's back. It's going to make a big difference. Drew Brees gave a big. This is our division. 
type of statement. The Falcons were always going to drop a game. It was always going to happen. Yeah, 72 Dolphins popping champagne corks. I understand How much that. money have they spent on champagne over the years? It must have been more money than they earned in the 72 season itself. E- easily. Easily. Apart from Mercury Morris, who was dealing <laughs> drugs on the side. But, like, but easily. Do we right? not drop an allegedly with that one? Sorry. No, no, he did bird for it. Oh, okay. It's in the um, America's Game. Okay. Dolphins documentary. I it's in just, there. I'm just too used to dropping the word allegedly with anything on podcasts. Thought they might have dropped this one, and they ended up dropping it, but it was very, very close. It was a great game. And the Falcons had an opportunity to basically win. In the last minute, and Roddy White, Matt Ryan's go-to guy, Barry Greer made a diving, touchdown-saving, pass breakup to win it for the Saints in the end. Drew I'd Brees lo- was fantastic again, three TDs, nearly 300 yards. Matt Trelice, 411 yards through the air and three touchdowns as well. But I'd like to say it was karma that meant that um, Roddy White did not get an opportunity to save his his Falcons because earlier in the week he. He said that he didn't like anything about New Orleans. Nothing at all about that great city apart from the food. He says good food and nothing else. What about the music? Not even bounce music, not sporty tea, not Lil Wayne, none of this stuff. Things that you think he'd be into. Maybe some jazz, maybe some, you know, some bi violin music. All the things that populate Treme. Well, I was going to say, Treme is an awful TV show. Hold on, hold on, hold on. It shouldn't put you off going to the city. No, 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 no. Treme is a good TV show if you think of it as a soap and not as a show from the creator of The Wire. Uh, I, I just... I just Every character in that show annoys me. All right. You missed out on Lester Freeman with Cornrows, but that's your loss. Yeah, move on. So maybe I'm with Roddy White on that one, but don't hate... Hate the TV show. Don't hate the city. <laughs> It's been a while since I mentioned my Matt Ryan MVP bandwagon. And this week there's been, you know, a lot of clamour for AP, but this was his first ever 400 yard game. Another great game from Matt Ryan. It was, and there's been a lot of, um, halfway through the season punditry around who people think the NFL MVP is going to be. We should talk about this. The unanimous choice of the quote unquote experts Seems to be Peyton Manning across the board. They're going with the same old tired narrative. They're like, yes, okay, he's, it's a great comeback. But if you're going to go for a comeback MVP, give it to Adrian Peterson by virtue of the fact that he is leading the league in rushing. I'll agree with that. I think that our punditry is obviously crap. Our forecast for who are going to be league MVP at the start of the season were... Tim Tebow, that obviously didn't work. <laughs> Chad Ojasinko, that didn't work. Terrell Owens, that didn't work. <laughs> Jamal Charles, that didn't work. Because R- Romeo Cornell doesn't know who he is. But no, you're right. I think that... Maybe let's talk about the Vikings next. But Adrian Peterson. You've got to remember this, folks. Extremely dominant running back. Came out of Oklahoma five seasons ago. And remember what we've told you before. The durability around running backs in the NFL doesn't happen anymore. It's like buying clothes from Primark. Four or five seasons, these guys are done. Adrian Peterson came off a horrific cruciate and interior cruciate ligament injury. At the same damn time. He wasn't even going to be back. He's on schedule for his best ever season as an NFL running back. It's a phenomenal story. And he helped his Minnesota Vikings 
get off the schneid a little bit and beat Matthew Stafford's Detroit Lions 34-24. And he was just an absolute beast in this. 27 carries, 171 yards, 6.3 yards on the deck. He had 120 yards in the final 15 minutes, and this is 10 and a half months after the reconstructive surgery. I don't have an MVP vote yet, neither does Inyo. If I've got one, I'm giving it to Adrian Peterson. Phenomenal. The comeback player of the year. Well, maybe Peyton Manning gets that as well. I don't really know, but I think to, to watch him, watch what he's doing, he seems better than ever. So he's a player that's going against the odds. And I think we like that. No, I, I definitely agree. I think also his, I think it's the past four games he's had over 100 yards in each game. And I think it's helped the Vikings gloss over the fact that Christian Glenn Ponder has not been playing as well as he did at the start of the season. And, and it's kept the Vikings in the hunt in the, in their division and, uh, potentially for a wildcard spot. So, so yeah, I, I definitely agree with you. I think that he, what he's achieved this season is, is fantastic. We haven't really seen a breakout running back. We've had running backs have good games, you know, Doug Martin, CJ Spiller, or whatever, but we haven't seen someone being consistently good. And especially in a pass heavy league, you're not going to get those sorts of runners like you used to. One thing I would also like to add, I do think Derek Rose watches Adrian Peterson play every Sunday and go, hopefully I can come back just as good as he did. And let's hope so, because you're talking about another extreme talent there, and I hope that happens. Lamborghini Percy was missing this week. Don't think anybody fancied the Vikes. I didn't like them at all. Detroit continue to be extremely inconsistent. Matthew Stafford throws the ball a lot, continues to. Three touchdowns, 321 yards. Megatron, finally the performance that Fantasy League owners were waiting for from Calvin Johnson. 12 catches, 207 yards. And finally a touchdown for Calvin Johnson. But it wasn't quite enough. Talking of a team that we've been talking up a lot on the pod, had him as a playoff contender, had him as a potential division Challenger, they got knocked the F out yesterday at home. Ryan Tannehill, Joe Philbin, Hard Knocks own, Miami Dolphins 3, the extremely inconsistent Tennessee Titans 37. This was a massacre. (laughs) Sorry, I just have to giggle. I can't even really give commentary, I just have to giggle. It was pathetic. The Titans were coming into this game. They were on pace to set an NFL record for points allowed in a season. The Dolphins, as we'd said, have been playing really, really well. Ryan Tannehill been playing really well. Reggie Bush playing really well. If you haven't seen the footage of the Duke move on Reggie Bush, and uh, any, I think, put it up on the Tumblr. Go back and check that out from last week. It was fantastic. Reggie Bush fumbled and got benched by Joe Philbin, and he had four carries in the game. Ryan Tannehill threw three interceptions. Miami couldn't do anything right. Chris Johnson, 126 yards on the ground. An absolute pummeling by the Titans. One week they're losing by 50. Next week they're winning by 40. Fun team to bet on, I guess. I guess so. A little bit of roller coaster ride there. And even just looking at the statistics, it, it wasn't as if they were, you know, they had a particularly great game. Jake Locker, 9 for 21. Uh, sorry, nine throw, uh, nine completions, 21 attempts, 
two TDs, which is enough. But that's that's those are not fantastic numbers. Those are those are almost Mark Sanchez numbers. We'll get to Mark Sanchez later when we talk about the late games. In terms of the other early games, got to talk about this one for prob- <laughs> for quite a bizarre incident, really. Inez, Los Angeles Raiders, 20. Oh. The Baltimore Ravens are somehow 7-2, and two, 55. Did you just call them the LA Raiders? Because that somewhat makes me feel better. Because imagine if it was the LA Raiders team of the early 90s and they played. Because I actually think they probably would have had a better game than this Oakland Raiders against the, uh, against the Ravens. They're going to go back to LA eventually. Oh my god. Record points conceded by the Raiders on Sunday. Yay, yay. Against Joe Flacco. Oh dear. The Raiders have conceded at least 40 points in two straight games for the first time in 50 years. Yeah. It's shocking. You get to halfway through the season and you think this is where teams improve. You know, the coach has had some time to impose adjustments throughout the season, figure out what really works, what doesn't work. You know, the Raiders cut their starting cornerback this this past week and have moved Michael Huff there, and it's it's a bit of a shambles. Let's just move on. Let's not move on just yet. All right. Carson Palmer has thrown for just shy of 800 yards in these two losses. Darren McFadden, he's out. Huge loss. Best thing about this game, the most news and noteworthy, was... Somebody kind of outraided the Raiders. Now, they don't do the antics that they used to do. Most penalised team, bad boy team, roughest, toughest. Well, they still are the most penalised team, but not for the way that they used to be penalised. Yeah, it's just for, you know... Sloppiness. Not tucking shirts in. (laughs) Stress code violations, that's what it is. The Ravens were beating the Raiders by 30 points... They ran in a fake field goal for a touchdown. So, it's like, we don't care about keeping this play secret. We're just going to run this play just because we're going to dump a ton of SHIT on the Raiders. Yeah. I did laugh. Looking back at that play, it was incredibly well executed. Some it was. Great blocking. You know, the place, uh, the placeholder just ran diagonal, like, to the other side. You wouldn't have thought that at all, but, but yeah. You rubbing. sound like a member of the Raiders defense. <laughs> <laughs> See, that was the most embarrassing thing to go around on Twitter th- yesterday, but I do feel that there was another team that had an even worse special teams performance, and we'll talk about that later. Talking of awful performances in the early games, Eli Manning, and as Inye said eloquently on Twitter, no one does a sad face like Eli Manning. What is this Giants team doing? Super Bowl champions, remember people. Super Bowl champions, elite quarterback, good running game, high profile defensive line, New York Giants 13, Cincinnati Bengals 31. Eli Manning was disgusting in this game. Awful. That is a great description. Disgusting. That interception was probably one of the worst plays I've ever seen in my life. Just so pitiful. Almost as bad as the Belichick throw for the, um, for his challenge flag. But AJ Green went into this game, the hottest receiver in the league right now. Nine TDs leading, leading the league as well. And he goes, 
there are holes in the New York Giants secondary. And oh my god, did he prove it on that touchdown catch. It's traditional for the Giants to start relatively hot, cool down, get into a little bit of a muddle and mess, then get hot again. And as they head into their bye week, we're seeing Eli on probably one of the worst slumps in his and his career so far. And to be honest, they, they're kind of lucky that the Jets are just such a mess that the New York media really hasn't sort of piled on yet. But, but yeah, this was, this was a game that I think they'd easily like to forget, but, um, a, a good game for the Bengals. You know, Andy Dalton, four TDs, a record setting game for him, so. And less than 200 yards passing in four TDs. You very rarely see that. Mm-hmm. Shout to the Gingers been a great year to be a ginger sportsman yeah we know that that bloke that did the long jump john hartson john hartson surviving yeah johnny bairstow getting in the england cricket team it's been a brilliant year to be a ginger sportsman Landry so. and breaking bad yeah that was the early games we had three late games new york so <clears throat> don't know who made the back page of the daily news was it Eli or was it another dreadful performance by poor old Mark Sanchez, New York Jets 7, Seattle Seahawks 28. Pathetic from the Jets once more. A lot of people were saying that, that one of the reasons why uh, Sanchez had another stinker of a game was because... Tebow would come on the field, and then the the play afterwards, when Sanchez would come back in, he would create a mistake. Now, to me, that smacks of either Sanchez being incredibly deliberate and trying to make it more obvious of a point and trying to shift the blame, or the media just very, very tired with the story and desperately looking for fresh angles. The thing I find strange is this is a game, people, where... Multiple substitutions are happening multiple times. It's a t- very important tactical aspect of the game. Positional matchups, bringing on different players, utilising different formations, different positions. It's like when he comes on, everyone is paralysed. Like he came on twice yesterday. Mm-hmm. There was two full starts. Yeah. Sanchez, the same player. San- yeah, uh, Dustin Keller. Yeah. And, and Sanchez comes out a wide receiver and it's just like... There's so much attention. There's so much brouhaha. And the actual plays that he actually does take part in, they're just pathetic. So, look, Sanchez is still the starter in New York now, and I don't really know why. Is it Tebow? Is it Greg McAvoy? I don't know. Maybe get him activated. But the Jets are now 3-6, and six, and it's just awful. It's awful to watch. But let's look at the positives of this game. The ballad of Russell Wilson continues. 5-0 and at home. Great throw to Golden Tate, who we are now having to somehow think of him as a good player and remove him away from the quasi-interception, quasi-reception of the Green Bay Monday night game from week two, was it? It was week three, I believe. But, yeah, Golden Tate, he's somebody that we're probably going to start talking about a little bit more actually now that's five touchdowns for him and he looks like he's going to get the ball will be useful in pretty much every game he plays it was a really nice over the shoulder catch but you're right the ballad of russell wilson he's five and out at home 
absolutely loved by the Seattle fans when I was in Seattle. Russell Wilson shirts for sale everywhere. It's the it's the Nike ones, right? The Russell nose. Is that the one? I haven't seen those. Oh, okay. I need one of those. So like, yeah, well, you've got RG3 nose, Cam nose. You can probably get a James nose as well. Probably. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he's got the best rating at home of any quarterback in the NFL. He is doing the bizzo. 12 of 19, two touchdowns. The Ballad of Russell Wilson goes on. And hard to make a real call on the Seattle Seahawks, where they're going to be at the end of the season, but they are now 6-4. and four. But tough place to go on the road. If you want to get a win in Seattle, that is damn straight. Carrying on with the late games. A must-win game for two awful teams. The Dallas Cowboys 38, the Philadelphia Eagles 23. The Michael Vick controversy was settled without the help of Marcus Vick. We had the first of our high-profile concussions in the late game. Michael Vick left the game with a concussion, did not look good at all. Nick Foles came in, the rookie off the bench to fill in for him, and it really didn't matter Philadelphia have gone from being a Super Bowl favourite at the start of last season. I actually liked them this season. I thought they were going to do very well. We talked about it. We thought that you know this season, away from all the media hype of them being the dream team, this would be this would be their season. And nope, it didn't happen. Instead, this traditional big game in the NFL got labelled as the dysfunction bowl. And it's the first time in history that both teams were under 500 when they played each other. And boy, what a stinker it was. Although, let's be honest, Tony Romo, second game of that pick and the second victory for the Cowboys in a row. So, yeah, they're four and five. They've got a slim chance of still making the playoffs. They, as I think we said last week, that they've got to go basically seven and one. Now they've got to go six and one. So, um, so yeah, we'll see. I will say this, though. Jerry Jones has been in the media a lot this week. If you don't know who Jerry Jones is, he's the owner of the Cowboys, saying that if he wasn't the owner of the Cowboys, he'd probably fire himself as GM this week. And and this is all good. But, you know, it's all nice that he's self-aware that in basically the past five or six years, the Cowboys are about 125 wins and 125 losses. They're not... They're, they're not really going anywhere, and this is great for NFL parity, but not great for one of the f- franchises of the NFL itself. So, James, the question I want to ask you is, is the persona of Jerry Jones enough for him and enough that the team itself does not require itself to be any good or competitive even? Not at all. I think they are still the most popular NFL team in the U.S. Don't know globally. But obviously they have that mystique, they have that gravitas, they are America's team. And it is important that they do the biz on the field. I think the last charismatic owner of that magnitude, the last owner you could probably name was Al Davis. And after lots and lots of early success, more eccentricity came down the line and and it ended up turning into a total disaster. So... Not sure where it goes, but this team needs to turn itself around and start winning some games, start building some stuff. They've got some talent, they've got some players, they've got the new stadium, you can see it from space. They've got a massive TV in there that they maybe should have put a little bit higher. They do, and if you want to 
hark back to see some classic Jerry Jones antics and shenanigans. We keep mentioning this series of documentaries, A Football Life. It's on the NFL Game Pass, but fortunately enough, someone always uploads it on YouTube every week. This week is a special on Jimmy Johnson, ex-Dallas Cowboys head coach, who did some shots fired this week. Yeah. At Dallas. I was going to ask you about that, but... He said, you know what Dallas needs to do? Dallas needs to get tough. People view playing for the Dallas Cowboys as like being part of a country club. Mm-hmm. There's no fear, he said. If you watch the documentary about Jimmy Johnson, just, just YouTube it, Jimmy Johnson, A Football Life. It's brilliant because it goes into tons and tons of detail around what a disciplinarian he was. Mm-hmm. He cut someone for having asthma. You know what? I'm giggling, but in reality, what purpose does a person with asthma have on an NFL team? They're potentially liable to to break down with an asthma attack on the field. That was what it was. It's a great documentary. It breaks down the fact he was on Survivor. I didn't even know that. Mm -hmm. And all sorts of other stuff. And it also breaks down, this is a bit of it I like the most, is that he lives down in the Florida Keys, comes up on the weekends to do the uh, NFL game time show on Fox. All the coaches go down there to pick his brain about coaching stuff. Brilliant footage of Bill Belichick going down there to go out on his boat to catch fish and sink brews. Mm-hmm. They all go down there to hang out with Jimmy Johnson. Still an absolute legend and Sven Garley in the game. That's some classic Cowboys stuff. Much more interesting than the Cowboys of today. Yeah. I will say this one thing back to the game quickly. We just got some information today, and we'll actually be talking about concussions a little bit later on with our guest. But the uh, Andy Reid said that he thinks it's unlikely that Michael Vick will come back and practice. Um, basically confirming that what he did go out with in the game was a, a concussion. And I don't know about you, James. I don't know if you saw enough of Nick Foles actually playing... He, he wasn't great, but at least he had his head up. He wasn't afraid. He wasn't scared. The Eagles probably didn't help themselves by by making him throw slants because, you know, that's sort of a thing that requires timing. But do you think that he could potentially step up? Do you think that he could be someone that could... Do we think he could be the next Ryan Tannehill? <laughs> maybe, do you think maybe. we could now have six rookie quarterbacks starting in the NFL, potentially... I don't know. Let's move on. To a game that had it all. And what it had was something we haven't talked about so far this year on North London 40. Something that hasn't happened in the NFL since 2007. The classic old days of the game when Ryan Fitzpatrick was playing for the Cincinnati Bengals. (laughs) We got a tie. The San Francisco 49ers, 24. The St. Louis Rams, 24. Tied ball game. This is the perfect storm of a football game. This is what the NFL is about in 2012. Not the tie, because that's what Americans hate more than anything else in the world. There was lots of ties like kissing your sister, which is a very weird phrase to use, but hey, Americans use whatever you need to use. This was great because it incorporated the Red Zone channel, the greatest invention of all time, the Twitter of TV. It incorporated Twitter. It incorporated so many different aspects of the game. You had 
the special teams making plays, you had backup quarterbacks, you had fake punts, you had everything. I I don't you, penalties. Oh yeah, you you what you James, you need to to I, I'll just go on and on. No one liked the Rams going into San Francisco. Everyone's obviously high on the Niners. They had a bit of a blip a couple of weeks ago. But everyone's high on the Niners, and, and no one can really figure out the St. Louis Rams. If you can remember, they were a team that Londoners clasped close to their bosom yep. for about three days. Mm-hmm. They went back to, to the States with their tails between their legs. Been having a, t- a pretty terrible season, but should have won this game. Yeah. And, you know, I think they take the positive attitude. Everything they're saying is, look, if you haven't seen the footage, Damian Andola caught an 80-yard pass down to the two-yard line in overtime. It got called back because of illegal formation. the first throw of overtime. First throw. This is something I wanted to ask you. Why do teams throw deep on the first throw of overtime? Because the other team isn't expecting it. But it's happened so many times now that they should be expecting it. And be honest, the the 49ers should have known that there were, the Rams were only going to throw to one person because Amendola was on fire yesterday. He was. 11 receptions, 102 yards. Would have been 12 receptions for 182 yards. Should have been. On a legal formation on the other side of the field, which had no implication around the game. It can be a very frustrating thing about the NFL and American football. Rules like that. But them rules is rules. Mm-hmm. Got to have seven people on a line of scrimmage. If you played the game, you know that all too well. Alex Smith went out with a concussion. Colin Kaepernick came in and did okay. But oh. didn't get the quarterback play that they've been getting from Alex Smith mm-hmm. from recent weeks. Our man, young Jeezy, kicked a 53-yard field goal. Easy for Jeezy. Mm-hmm. Delay a game. Didn't kick it in time. Got pulled back, had to do a 58, shanked it. Very, very exciting. This was on very, very late. Love those Sunday nights, Monday mornings, following a game. It had it all. It's a tie. Ties very, very rarely happen, people. They happen about once every four years. That really helps the shake-up at the top of the division. And the final, late game. We bigged it up last week. It was supposed to be an epic. The battle of the teams at 7-1. and one. The Houston Texans went into Chi-Town to take on the Chicago Bears. The weather was atrocious, absolutely chucking it down all night. Big defensive battle. The Texans 13, Chicago Bears 6. Taylor defense, Jay Cutler got rocked by Tim Dobbins. On a play, again, our third late game, our third concussion. Jason Campbell came in, was dreadful, 11 of 19 for 94 yards. Couldn't really get any offense going. Aaron Foster showed his class, 102 yards on the ground for the Texans. But not the battle people were expecting. Lots of fumbles, lots of mistakes. The Texans, got to give it up for that Texans D. Strong. Yeah, everyone thought the Cowboys' D was the best in the league. And I'm not saying the Texans are, but they had three takeaways on on Jay Cutler's first three possessions really meant that the first half was very disjointed and very bitty. And to be honest, it wasn't the spectacle that we were hoping for, but I'd say all in all, a better than average Week 10 in the NFL. Absolutely.
Let's quickly preview week 11. Let's talk about the Thursday night game, because we have to. Mm-hmm. I'm hoping that the... I'm, I'm, the great thing about the Thursday night game now is that NFL.com has to send you an email to try and big up the Thursday night game. <laughs> and I am excited to see what they use for this. <sighs> Come see the king of the Wonderlick. <laughs> Dolphins are at the Bills. CJ Spiller's a player. He's worth watching. But he's not even the designated starter for the Bills yet. Not for the... Yeah, for the Bills. He is. Oh, yeah, no, Because Freddie Jackson got... <laughs> Got injured this week. Ah, uh, okay. So, yeah, maybe that's what they'll do. They'll, they'll go with the spiller angle. Early games. A couple of interesting matchups in the early game. Nick Foles. We'll see how he gets on. Taking on slightly more heralded rookie in Black Jesus mm-hmm. in Washington as they take on the skins. I hope RG3 takes the time between now and the game on Sunday to look at Michael Vick's career and realise... The balance between being a rushing quarterback and a passing quarterback is probably the most important thing he needs to prolong his career. Otherwise, he'll end up in the wilderness like Michael Vick has. Possible. Pick of the late games. These quarterbacks are both 6-3. and three. Who'd have thought it? One is very new, Andrew Luck, and his Indianapolis Colts. One is quite old. Well, he's younger than me. Tom Brady. In Gillette Stadium. Should be a good match. See how the Colts stack up against the Pats. Both 6-3. and three. Yep, this is the game that the NFL made sure that it was the national game. That's the, they're all in on luck. Last week they sold the Thursday night game by seeing luck for the first time ever in prime time. And, uh, yeah, this should be a good one. Two good teams be interesting to see who tries and establishes uh, who tries to establish their running game who's going to impose themselves and uh, go on to be 7 and 3 and put themselves in a good position late night game this is always a classic battle for fans of old school smash mouth interdivision football the ravens at the Steelers I can't see the Ravens winning this. Just can't see it. Why are you saying because the Steelers are on a bye week? I just think the Ravens are seven and two, but they're about as worse as seven and two as you can get. But it's a great game to watch. Math, loads of you Steelers fans out there, we know that. Should be a great game. Definitely worth staying up late for. Always a classic. See what Jack, Joe Flacco turns up. Two weeks ago, the big wigs at ESPN would have been salivating, rubbing their thighs like Vic Reeves in Shooting Stars <laughs> at the prospect of a Monday night game featuring a team that was 6-2 and two versus a team that was 7-1 and one, battling out for the bragging rights of the best teams in the NFC. The Chicago Bears at the San Francisco 49ers. However, ESPN are now selling... A Jason Campbell versus Colin Kaepernick game. The battle of the understudies. That's what they're going to call it. It's yeah. <laughs> Sometimes it's unfortunate, but I honestly think that Colin Kaepernick will probably not be in 
San Francisco at the end of the season. I think he's good enough. I think there are quite enough teams that would go for him. I think he's he's capable of of being a quarterback in this league. So here's another opportunity for him to do so. Anyway, this you're our uh, stats man. Is this the first time there has been two black starting quarterbacks on Monday Night Football? Uh, I'm going to say yes, but I, I I don't even think it's true. I'm just going to say yes. I'm just going to raise my fist up. That's my answer. <laughs> <laughs> just helping out the ESPN guys. Mm. Don't like the prospect of watching that one. Really don't. Also, one quick thing that we should have probably mentioned at the beginning of the pod. The Redskins rule does not exist uh, anymore, and thank God. It doesn't, just to fill everybody in on the, on the election result. You're right, yeah. in case you missed that. Yeah, it's good to squash that one. And hopefully RG3 will be back. Maybe he'll win this week. Mm-hmm. Just just uh, beat Nick Folds to kind of make up for it. So we're having our second North London 40 barbecue this week in the studio. Yes. We're going to have the most ever people we've had in the studio. It should be fun, shouldn't it? It's going to be amazing. I cannot wait. I'm excited for... The gathering of our friends. Yes. The watching of NFL. Yes. And most importantly, the amazing food. Yeah. It should be good. I wish we... Cream uh, corn. Shout out, Davey Boy Smith. Wish we did it on mass every week. But yeah, so it should be a particularly good week for us. Mm. And then the week after, speaking of food, it'll be the Thanksgiving event. That's right. Next week, join us where we'll be breaking down... The Thanksgiving preview. We'll be giving you some Thanksgiving stats. Inyo's going to be doing his homework on that, giving you all you need to know about Thanksgiving. What to eat. By homework, you mean just pumpkin recipes, right? Yep. Mm. What to eat, what presents to give and receive, what to wear, and more importantly, what games are going to be on and where you can watch them and when you can watch them with us. Yep. And we're going to have the organiser from the Thanksgiving party. Tickets on sale for the number one sports bar in Moorgate. We'll have him on the pod next week, giving you all the information that you need to know. Special guest time. We are extremely privileged yep. to have somebody participating in this week's North London 40. He has European heritage. He's coached in NFL Europe. Appreciate some of you won't remember what NFL Europe is. We'll go in the time tunnel. We'll go over that for some of you new jacks. But it was... Very important back in the day. He's coached over here with some of the European teams. He is representing online the Gridiron Think Tank. His name is William Brown. He is joining us on North London 40. William, how's it going? Going well. Thank you for having me. You're very welcome, sir. So, lots of stuff going on in the NFL this week, and we spoke about it. One of the big things that's happened and it's been going on has been the concussions this week. Twelve concussions this week and three very high profile starting quarterbacks in the NFC that you all would have seen this week. Michael Vick, Alex Smith and Jay Cutler late last night. They went out of the games, they got hit, they aren't coming back next week, maybe they're not coming back the week after. RG3 came back after a week, that was a little bit controversial. You're a lot more qualified to speak about this than we are. Give us an insight, what's happening with all this? Well, you know, football is a violent game, and and so people get hurt. And I think that from the standpoint, from that standpoint, uh, football is supposed to be played a certain way. And the the harder and faster the football is played, this is only my opinion, the less injuries that are going to occur. Now, I'm not a doctor, but I think that the rules and regulations of the NFL um, have probably gotten the game to a point where 
people can get actually get hurt more. So from that standpoint, I think that injuries are just a natural part of the game. But if you tie the hands of the defense especially, I think that it, when it's all said and done, people can get hurt more. Uh, the quarterback is a position that needs, that needs to be protected. Uh, I think that there are there are times where the quarterback will get hit in the head or will get hit maliciously and will get hurt because of it. But what's all said and done, there are schematic um, things that, that offenses do, protection-wise and those things, to keep the quarterback from getting hurt. But if they can't protect him or if he's running, then he becomes, uh, he becomes a guy with the ball and people are going to want to hurt him. <laughs> so um, the game is a violent game. Uh, people get hurt. You know, quarterbacks are high profile because they make a lot of money. Mm-hmm. But when it's all said and done, that's why you have a backup quarterback. So I guess the thing that our listeners may be thinking about is this is this the NFL clamping down more than they ever, ever did and maybe being more overly sensitive to what are considered concussions, taking less risks, or has this always been going on? It just hasn't been as much of a high-profile issue. Because this week, it seemed like a really high-profile week. But nothing's changed, right? Correct. Nothing's changed. And to answer your question, yeah. I mean, yeah, the NFL has, has put in place probably over the last four or five years, or even more, four or five years, Goodell put a lot of rules in place that have really tied the hands of the defense. Now, what that got to do with the offense and the quarterback and the concussions, well, it has a lot to do with it because when it's all said and done, injuries are going to occur if people are going to not play the game at the speed and level it needs to be played at. So uh, if a player is worried about getting fined on defense about hitting somebody, then he's going to uh, hold back and he's not going to give the energy and level of play that he should give, which can cause him to get injuries. So to be honest with you, people, I think you're right. People are very sensitive because of the nature of the game. Uh, people are very sensitive because of the nature of the quarterback. Because of he's usually going to be the the figurehead of the format. I mean, of the um, the franchise. And with all said and done, I think that people get people are going to get people are going to get hurt in the game of football, especially quarterbacks, because the game is not played at the highest level it should be played at. So obviously, there's lots of fans of Michael Vick and Jay Cutler and Alex Smith and RG3 and and, and fans of the other players, Cam that, Newton, Cam Newton, um, oh, sure. that have been. That, that have been kind of hurt. They see. I mean, what what should we think? Should we should we be concerned with these people, and uh, uh, you know, or should they just be coming back, or is it too hard to tell? There's l- lots of high profile stories coming out. Obviously, the biggest one is Jim McMahon and the problems that he's having. You know, it, where does the seed of doubt start to become? Do we expect these players back? Or I, I don't know. It all seems like a, a hard thing for us as. as kind of basic fans to digest and the NFL isn't necessarily giving out a clear message around that I mean we all saw Michael Vick walk off yesterday and I don't know I don't, I don't know when he comes back but I don't know when he should come back because mm-hmm. we still don't seem like we know enough about this well and I think most of us are not going to be qualified to make uh, any 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 knee-jerk assessment as to if somebody can play football or not I think that that's why they have doctors I think we should never be concerned about the players themselves because they have the best doctors, the best, um, the best everything in the NFL. So if a player is going to be protected in any way when it comes to playing the game before the game and after the game, it will be in the NFL. So there's no concern that your fans or anybody have about the players themselves. However, and they'll have the best equipment. So, but when it's all said and done, the game of football is going to be played on. It's going to be played on the field. And so, uh, there's only so much you can do to prevent injury. 
Uh, I think all said and done, the players are too fast and too strong and, and too good at what they do to prevent injuries. But I'd probably say that um, I have no idea when these guys are going to come back. Uh, I think there's always going to be uh, um, uh, conversations about when they will, but that's why they have. That's why they pay backup quarterbacks, you know, a couple million dollars to be there for them, and 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 other positions as well. It's interesting that you mention uh, that you mentioned about the sort of the rules and regulations that are put in place to uh, that the NFL have put in place in order to try and protect quarterbacks, and that's one of the reasons why the defenses are more hesitant. And it seems to be that, especially with the concussions, especially this season, if we look at the case of RG3. The Redskins were very particular in the way that they worded um, his concussion because I, I still think teams, obviously, they're, they're well aware that players are going to get injured, they are going to get hurt, but at the same time, they need to make sure that they're at least showing a public face that they're, they're making choices and decisions uh, to protect these players. So it kind of creates a sort of a false imbalance. And I, and I was just wondering what you thought of that. Do you think that the, this is the, the rules and regulations in place now are a little bit more just to, to sort of a public relations exercise rather than yeah. sort of sorting out the issue? Yeah, I think you're exactly right. I think they're always going to be very careful how they word uh, that word concussion, period. Because once you say a person has a concussion, there's an assumption that he's not going to play for at least two or three games, mm-hmm. especially at that level. So I think they'll always be very – they'll always say concussion-like symptoms, yeah. you know, to alleviate any concerns that the public may have about about their team and about their players. So from that standpoint, I think that just they'll have a, they have a bunch of lawyers, a bunch of people. They actually teach players how to talk to the media and what to say and what not to say. So that word concussion will, especially, you know, the last year or so, will always be a word that will be used very carefully, and they'll always say concussion-like symptoms or something close to it, but they'll never say a guy has a concussion unless he actually has one, so he has a chance to still be to still be there for the team to play. So I think it's still an issue that's very, very uncertain, uh, still an issue that's going to be determined by doctors, not by not by lawyers. And I think from that standpoint, they'll always protect their um, their image. They'll always protect the players and the franchise from actually saying if he can play or not. I think the story ro- uh, I think the story rolls on from here, and I think it's a question to watch this space. And you know, it certainly isn't solved overnight. But you know, player safety is paramount, and the NFL knows that. And hopefully, those guys will be back better than ever, and everyone's going to be safer as a result of it. So let's see how it how it pans out. You've got some college football pedigree, William. Uh, you coached at. Blinn College, a young Cam Newton was there for a while before he went to Auburn, Georgia. That's quite applauded. We haven't really had the opportunity to talk much college football yeah. on this podcast, and that is not to say that it isn't an amazing game. It absolutely is. It's just so, such a little time. However, followers of social media and followers of American sports this weekend have suddenly been made aware of a new name in the sport. William, who's Johnny Football? Johnny Football is a, is a young man named uh, Johnny Manziel from Texas A&M. And he's a, he's a player this, this past week who did something amazing in college football, which is to to have 300-plus yards of, of uh, total offense against Alabama. And if nobody knows who Alabama is in the United States in college football, they are the standard of football in the, uh, in the nation when it comes to winning, uh, tradition, uh, offense, and defense. And they do a heck of a job. The head football coach, Nick Saban, is a well-respected, probably the most respected defensive coach 
in the, in in the football world and has a, has a pedigree like nobody else and and so he got beat this past weekend by a young person uh, from A and M Texas A and M which is uh, unbelievable for somebody that young and that inexperienced to do. Again, we could run a se- separate podcast on college football. It's that good a sport, people. And just so you know, ESPN America is the channel. College game day starts from about 2 o'clock on a Saturday afternoon. The guys go around these American colleges, Desmond Howard and Lee Corso and uh, Kirk Herbstreet. They go around and, and they, they broadcast it. And then they show games from around about 2 o'clock in the afternoon till about 4 o'clock in the morning. And then they repeat them. You're guaranteed massive excitement. Williams spoke about Alabama. They've won the last two national titles. The last two years they produced two great running backs you'll know in the NFL, Trent Richardson and Mark Ingram, Heisman Trophy winner, and have generally been the powerhouse in the SEC conference. This was such a story because Texas A&M beat Alabama, and we're not going to go into the college ranking system. We're not going to ask Williams to try and figure out how that works because that's a whole different podcast in itself. But it looks like as a result of that win, and and Johnny Football is called Johnny Football because it's a Texas thing and he's young and he can throw the football and stuff. But it looks like college football is potentially going to have a different name, which is out of the SEC division this season. Things are changing. What's happening in the college game, William? Well, the the college game is shifting and changing quite a bit because, uh, you know, money is a driving force uh, when it comes to TV contracts. And there's been quite a bit of uh, of league, um, of changing leagues. In the SEC, as you mentioned earlier, we won't get too deep into it, but it's probably the most uh, competitive, um, the most dominant league when it comes to talent and players and coaches. So you get uh, you get basically the best players from this league uh, are likely to go to the NFL and have a uh, have a decent career there. So and but, Tim uh, Tebow, <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly, Tim Florida, exactly. So you're gonna have some of the elite top players uh, out of that particular league. This particular game is interesting because Texas A&M has just entered the SEC, and the SEC does not have very many Texas teams in it. Um, if I recall correct, I think A&M may be the only one, uh, and Missouri entered the league too. So uh, just understand too now, the NFL is uh, – the, the college football is the foundation of the NFL. I mean, it's free training. It's free um, – you know, players are trained to play in the NFL from the SEC and from other conferences. So, But um, it, it's a big deal because Alabama has been the dominant – Team, um, it's like the New England Patriots of college football. They've been a dominant team in this, uh, in, in this, um, and for the last few years. And wherever Nick Saban coaches the head football coach for Alabama, they usually win national championships. And it's much tougher to win outright national championships because you can't lose. You know, you can't lose games and still be expected to go to the national championship. So you have to almost go undefeated, which is virtually impossible to do in that particular league. It absolutely is. So a new a new winner this season potentially. Number one is Kansas State. Number two is Oregon Ducks. Shout out to our mate Danny. He's a big Oregon Ducks fan. Notre Dame is there in Georgia and also number four. It's a fantastic sport, different sport, much more of a leveler. Lots of players are. If you think about the NFL, it is the elite of the elite of the elite. If you watch a game of college football. You'll find the kickers. The kickers are generally rubbish, right? Because they're just people that they get on, they get on campus, they miss all the time. But it makes for a much more exciting game, 
Right, so and it's a really, really good thing to watch. But we appreciate there is so many hours in the day, and you know, but definitely worth engaging. Round about bowl time, which is the end of year, and again, the bowl thing is really, really, really complicated. But Johnny Football, keep an eye on them, and keep an eye on the shakeout. Yeah, things can change a lot, but it's it's brilliant. William, you've been brilliant. Tell us what you're up to. Uh, what do you want to plug? What have you got going on um, that people in the UK can interact with? Well, you know, uh, what we do here, you know, uh, uh, the Gridiron Think Tank is basically exactly what it is, exactly what it says. We think about football all day. We simulate it. We talk about it. We discuss it. We, 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 uh, we sort out the differences between the, the schematically, the college game, the pro game. We basically are, are high-level thinkers of the game of football in all aspects and all respects. And so – uh, I think that Europe is uh, really important. If you know, you've seen NFL games being played in the regular season in Europe. Uh, I'm of the opinion that eventually, I think the NFL or other leagues can possibly sustain themselves in Europe and play football at a high level. Eventually, you know, I've you know, I've, I've seen the love and passion uh, of, of young players who know nothing about the game of football, who've never been in America, but who, who love the game, who travel miles and miles with a with a helmet and, and, and shoulder pads on their shoulder, just to learn from American coaches. So I think that you know Europe is, I think, is a is a nice place for the next level of the game of football to to, to establish itself. And I think that uh, NFL Europe and those particular leagues have were kind of a a beginning point um, to really establish themselves in um, in the UK and Europe and in those places. And I think that uh, we just think about the game of football and we want to eventually establish ourselves. In Europe, and, and bring some of our um, thought thought processes, and eventually some of our software solutions over there to the, to the game of football in Europe. You heard it there, folks. Don't just take me and Inye's word from it. You're talking about someone with some real pedigree. Yep. Thinks um, Europe is the place for NFL expansion. That's mm-hmm. why we're here. That's why we start in London and we're moving outwards into Europe from here. Yeah, we're conquering. That's why we do what we do. William, want to appreciate you taking the time. It's been a pleasure having you, sir. And we will speak to you next time. Thank you. Thank you. So, it's been another brilliant week in the NFL. Thank you very much to William for coming on the podcast and dropping some serious science. The man is the zonal marking of NFL. He is. He knows his ish, people. At Gridiron Think Tank, you want to hit him on Twitter. You want to you listen to us too and go, I've got a really technical question here that these two aren't going to know the answer yeah. to. I want to hit him. I recommend you do that. So... Tune in next week, people. We will be here. We have been North London 40. It's been fun. Watch the NFL this week as much as you can, and we will see you next week. Take care.